0: Um so we're back tonight and this this will kind of be um I'd say sort of part 1 of a two-parter. The Bible is amazing and you know that of course, but uh, as far as an as far as ancient literature really one of a kind in in telling stories in a very modern sort of way. If you've ever read other if you've ever been forced to read the 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 Odyssey or the or 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 the Quran, or I mean, older, yeah, it's just really interesting that the narrative style of the Bible is very, is so modern and easy to read in many ways, and, and so the way Josh, the book of Joshua tells the story, we're going to spend two weeks on the invasion, the actual, like D-Day, the actual landing on the beach on the other side of the Jordan, but one of the things the Bible does, which is remarkable and very modern, is one of the way it tells it in a couple of ways, but one of the ways it tells the story is through the eyes of one particular Person, And that's what we're going to do tonight, and next week we'll do the more general uh, view of the people of God crossing over. But So we've been walking through the book of Joshua. I got a great message from one of you this week about how important last week's uh, lesson was, or text was, from Joshua on being strong and courageous. You told me that you had the the worst couple weeks at work that you'd had in over 13 years, and, and that scripture just fell on the right week, and it's interesting how God... God does that for us sometimes he puts the right things in front of us the thing exactly what we need the manna for that day Uh, but Joshua has been called to lead God's people into the promised land over the Jordan River uh, across through the Jordan River and he's smart he knows there are scores waiting on them Uh, on the other side enemies on the other side of the river dangerous foes and he knows that even though he's got this promise from God and has seen God at work and heard the voice of God. He knows this is not like going to be an overnight victory. This is not going to be shock and awe, The promised land is ours. There are going to be casualties, and it's going to take a while. Uh, so, chapter one: the Israelites now they're still on the other side of the Jordan, the far side, but they know that D Day is approaching. Joshua told them last week: three days, three days. And we're going to cross over. And as they look across the Jordan River, um, they could see some impressive sights. The city of Jericho, it would not have been that far away. Uh, We went there on our Israel trip a few years back. Uh, Jericho is close to the Jordan, uh, ancient city. You can visit the ruins today, but they would have seen the walls. Uh, They would have seen guards, soldiers around the city. And they knew that was going to be uh, hurdle number one. Uh, for their conquest. And so, remember these tribes, I mean, this is kind of getting perspective or context. They've never actually had land to call, like, this is the deed to my, they've never had their own land. I mean, even from Abraham's day, very nomadic existence, and they've got this promise but now they're coming out of centuries of slavery in Egypt's land, serving their masters in Egypt. And so Jericho is a big deal because it's the first domino that's going to fall of hopefully many dominoes as they move through the promised land. And this once this impressive walled city was defeated, I mean, it would send a message to the other cities around Canaan, and uh, they would be able to then move past that, initial entry point and and move deeper into the lands that had been promised to Abraham and Sarah. And so we'll pick it up. Joshua sharing words in chapter 1 that would quicken the pulses of the people. And so Joshua chapter 1 verse 11, he tells them, three days from now you will cross the Jordan. To go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So 72 hours, and we're going, going across. And decades of, of, more recently in their history, decades of frustration and disappointment, discouragement have led to this particular moment three days away in time. How are they going to take Jericho? Um, what's what are the military strategies they're going to be used? How are they going to be organized? All that stuff. Well, they don't know, but they know their leader has told them we're crossing over. Uh, how long would the siege take? Would they uh, surround the city and kind of starve it out? You know, would it would it be a several month type of deal? They don't know. They don't know. Uh, maybe they would. Uh, identify because they're going to do some espionage here, some spy missions, some intel gathering. Maybe they would attack a, a breach or a weakness in the wall or some other security vulnerability there in Jericho. They don't know. Uh, and perhaps God is just going to take matters into his own hands and, you know, a lightning strike or something from heaven and the city is theirs. Uh, they could make guesses, and I'm sure they were. Like, how is this all going to happen? I mean, that's what well, they had to be talking about around the campfire, but they really had no certainty about the details of the conquest of Jericho. Now, Joshua, we've seen the spy thing before. It didn't go so well when Joshua and Caleb and the other spies went so many years before, although Joshua and Caleb were certainly raring to go. But uh, this time, they're going to do some more espionage. And so he sends Joshua a couple of spies across the river into enemy territory, in fact, into the city of Jericho. So chapter 2, verse 1, he tells them this. He says, guys, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, this is certainly, I think, if we're honest and fair, it's a little bit of an eyebrow (laughs) razor. They go and they choose to stay in the home of Rahab the prostitute, which begs the question, I think, so why did these guys choose to make that their lodging place at this brothel? Uh, and I, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure this out. I mean, I think if you want some some place that's discreet, uh, some place that would kind of be off the radar, uh, that would probably be the kind of place you'd want to go instead of the Motel 6 there in Jericho. Um, her establishment would be, Rahab's establishment, be the sort of place that specialized in discretion. Now, history is going to remember her. To this day, we're talking about her, about Rahab, um, she is going to become, like I said, the, the focus is going to really be on this one individual and her family, mostly on her. Uh, but she's going to be very important to the history of God's people and to the conquest of the land. Uh, she is going to be a key figure in the lives of the spies. We'll talk more about that later. And, amazingly, uh, the the lineage of Jesus Christ. She's going to appear in Matthew chapter 1, her name, um, and so history is going to remember her and what she does and her faith. Uh, now, centuries after the conquest, I mean, even into—anyway, we'll, we'll get more into that in just a few minutes. But Matthew chapter 1, uh, we're told that she is going to—Rahab will uh, married an Israelite man. Uh, and, and this Rahab turns out to be the great-great-grandmother of King David— And so this prostitute named Rahab uh, actually becomes an ancestor of our Lord. An ancestor of Jesus. It's really amazing how God takes an outsider, a foreigner, and someone who gets the the title, the prostitute or the harlot, depending on your translation, affixed to her name, and God uses her as this key player, not only in military victory in the promised land, but in bringing Jesus into the world uh, on down the road. So God's power, God's mysterious ways, God's, I think you could say, creativity are on full display in her story. In Hebrews 11, right, the the roll call of faith, uh, the hall of fame of of people of faith. Her name is right there um, with with the names with some pretty impressive names. I mean, chapter 11, verse seven, verse seven. The order goes, you know, as you you start through that, it's Noah, it's Abraham, it's Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. And that, That's the order. So, wow! I mean, she's right up there with some pretty, some pretty big figures in this in this um, Mount Rushmore of faith. Um, isn't that, isn't that something? That her name is, is listed there as a role model of faith for us. Hebrews chapter. Let's actually. This is from the message, so it'll sound a little bit different. But Hebrews chapter eleven, uh, verses thirty and thirty-one. By faith, the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days and the walls fell flat. By an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. In the book of James, two people are listed as great examples of what it looks like to walk by faith, and one of those is, is Rahab. Wow, I mean, James chapter two, starting verse 25. Rahab the prostitute is another example of faith. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. We remember that last part: faith without. But the it's about. She's the example of that. Believed, trusted in God, and pushed, went all in on this thing. I mean, risked her life and her family, essentially, because she believed in God and trusted in God. And so she's not just a footnote in Jewish history. She is is front and center. Anytime they're talking about great people of faith, her name gets in there. Uh, When she appears on the scene, uh, of course, this is the remarkable thing about her journey, many remarkable things about her journey. I would say, first of all, it's kind of interesting. I do feel, I don't know if I feel bad for her or if, or what, but that The harlot or the prostitute always seems to get attached to her name. I mean, there were other, like, Paul could be Paul the terrorist because he was kind of a religious terrorist. Um, I mean, you could, I I would hate to walk around for the rest of my life and have, you know, Gordon the ex-con or something attached. But she gets that, but I think it's the spotlight of, Look at what God can do with a life that yields to him. Look at at how God can turn someone's life around. Think about Rahab. Um, So she's this amazing example. Um, When she appears on the scene, she is not a Jew, right? Uh, She is an outsider. She is one of those pagans living over across the river. She is playing for the wrong team. She is on the wrong side of that river, okay? Um, she is a citizen of Jericho, a city that is about to be wiped out by God's people. Um, anyway, when the spies enter Jericho, they they come in at the establishment that that Rahab runs. That she that she is the the owner of, and perhaps and people in in, in Jericho, I mean, they would have seen the Israelites as. The threat. I mean, they could see them massing on the other side of the Jordan River. Um, they understood that at some point, those people on the other side of the river—they mean to come over and attack us, right? Everyone knew that. The city was on was on high alert. Uh, the city's king, uh, through his intelligence sources, uh, intelligence sources, he is aware that there are some agents of Israel within the city walls, and so he's doing everything he can to find them and, and capture them. Um, one source says they've been placed at her, at her establishment, at Rahab's uh, brothel, and so the king sent orders to her. He probably sent orders other places where he heard other rumors, but he sends, uh, he sends orders to her that if they are there, you are to make sure that they are turned in ...to the local authorities, that they don't get away. He kind of puts it on her to do that. Now everything, I think you can see as the the tension builds... ...and she's housing these agents of a foreign power, an enemy power... ...and now the king is aware that maybe she has those people there. I mean, this is, it's tense... And so everything hinges on what she will do. What decision will Rahab the harlots make? And she makes a very courageous decision. She switches teams. She chose to believe that the God of Israel would give victory to his people. That her walled fortress city would fall to them. She chose to cast her lot with the invading army. And it was all very risky. From her perspective because not only now do you have these two spies that have switched but are on the enemy team but now she's joined there and yet she's still in Jericho so it's a very risky business uh, lives of her family are at stake uh, obviously her business is, is in the balance here um, she's taking on a great deal of danger as she sides with Israel and so here's what she did and you probably heard the story before it's a great story I mean instead of turning them in. Yes, they're here. You can have them. Instead of doing that, she hides them under a pile of grain stalks up on her roof. She tells the representatives from the king, she tells these secure the these these security apparatus guys, they were here, but they are no longer here. Um, she, sends, she sends the king's men on this wild goose chase uh, in the opposite directions, in the opposite directions so that the, so that the spies can make uh, an escape. And so she does all of these courageous things. She makes all of these steps that are clearly by faith are very dangerous, risky moves. She also confesses her faith to these spies. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, Rahab says, I know the Lord has given you this land. That's quite a declaration, considering they're all still on the other side of the river except for these two spies. She says in verse 11, The Lord your God is the supreme god of the heavens above and the earth below that's quite a declaration of, of faith um, so in the story as, as it unfolds she employs some business acumen to strike a deal she is a shrewd negotiator she didn't get to that place that she got to in life by being a fool and so she tells them if i help you guys hide and i help you guys escape Then, in return, promise me that me, myself, my family, we will be spared when the city falls. She believes the city is going to fall. Spare us when the city falls. And they agree. Now, they told her, we need for you to mark your residence. There's going to be a lot of chaos uh, when when the armies move into your city. A lot of chaos. So you need to mark your place with this scarlet cord out of the window, hanging out of the window, and that will flag you as a friendly, not a foe, when our forces flood into your city. And so she put her faith in the God of Israel, this foreign God. Uh, She risks everything when she makes her choice, and her belief in God, her trust, her faith is, as James tells us, it is translated into action. It is not faith without works. It is very much faith with works and she translates that into action as she allows the spies she helps them escape and they get loose and to the other side with valuable intelligence about the land and about the city and then and this had to be the hardest part after the spies leave she waited she waited She waited for that day of deliverance, which we know is coming just in a very short time. Um, She may not have known that. I don't know. uh, But she knew the time was getting close since the king of her city, anticipating imminent attack, chose to put the city on lockdown. I mean, the gates are shut. There's extra guards roaming uh, the, the uh, the, the, the walls of the city. And then a few mornings later, she heard the alarm. The alarm sounded out that an attack was about to happen, uh, alarm from on top of the city's wall. And she runs to her window. She looks out of her window, and she just sees this massive cloud of people coming toward the city. It's the Israelites. And it is not going to be a long siege. This is not going to take a year or even a month. This is going to take about a week. Uh, But for six days, you know the story probably, the Israelites uh, for six days circled the city one time a day. On the seventh day, they circled the city seven times. The priests are leading the procession. They blow their their trumpets, their shofars, and the army of Israel gives this great, mighty shout. And at that moment, I mean, just imagine earthquake, massive earthquake, enough to make the walls of, of a fortified city fall to the ground because that's exactly what happened. This earthquake causes these, these defensive structures to just collapse, and Jericho is exposed. And with the city's defensive structures in shambles, there's no battle. I mean, this is, this is over. That's what they were counting on, to either stop the Israelites... Or to have them go around and take on an easy, uh, go to an easier city. But the walls are gone, and this is going to go very quickly. The Israelite soldiers swarm in. And the same man, men who had earlier uh, been saved by Rahab, those same men go to her establishment, uh, and they collect her, and they collect her home, and they make sure that they have safe passage, and, and in fact, are brought into. Uh, into the encampment of the people of Israel. And her life would never be the same. I mean, 180. (laughs) I mean, her past as a brothel keeper, a prostitute, that did not in any way determine her future. She was not locked into that. Um, She changed completely. Um, She married a man named Salmon, Salmon or Salmon. And uh, most likely, scholars believe This guy, Salmon, was one of the spies that she had saved earlier. Don't know for sure, but most likely one of the spies that she had saved. And now they get married. She becomes the mother of a a boy named Boaz. Boaz grew up to be a wealthy farmer. Uh, We know him from the book of Ruth and that love story. Uh, Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, actually... Also becomes a legendary figure of faith for Israel uh, and great love and you know her story Rahab's story then becomes this reminder of how it's kind of sobering and a little scary um, but a reminder of how a person's life can really turn on a decision on a moment Um, we don't have moments like this every day but everyone will have some of these turning point moments in their lives she had one she made the right choice and the rest of her life was different her her story became known uh, throughout Israel and now throughout the world through the Bible Um, a single courageous choice and her life again it becomes proof that failures of the past, I think you could say moral failures, they, they don't have to determine the future. They don't have to determine the last chapter of your story. They can be part of the story, they can be part of the buildup to what God is going to do, right? And perhaps that's why, whenever I, I get back to that, that uh, tag, that nickname, that reference point that, that the Bible puts on her, even in the New Testament, um, when, when the Bible speaks of her, it still calls her Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute um, and i don 't think well i don 't think I know it 's not to shame her and belittle, belittle her because every time she gets mentioned it's to say like, she 's a hero of faith, act like Rahab, do what she did. be it be a trust in God and, and let your faith be alive and evident in the works of your life um, so it 's not to shame her that that title gets put on her, uh, but it is to, I think, reveal to us through her story, through her identity, the power of God to totally transform a life. We got to have lunch today with someone, I won't mention her name because I didn't tell her I was going to, but we got to have lunch at the home of a member here at Preston Crest and I was unaware of her amazing story, how she didn't come to faith until she was 59 years old and and she was telling us a story with great exuberance and, and now she leads ministries at this church. And anyway, But the power of God, no matter your age, no matter your situation, to it can turn on a dime if you trust him and his power is released in your life. I mean, a woman who had traded sex for money, Uh, became a legendary servant of God. How? By God's power and by her faith. That's how. She abandoned her story to become a part of God's story. And that's the invitation we all have through the good news of Jesus Christ. Rahab the harlot became Rahab the hero. Uh, The prostitute becomes the protagonist. And this, this is why we... a a cross-shaped people, a people saved by grace. We never write anyone off. Amen? We never write anyone off. Um, We are the people, I've heard it said, the people of the second chance. We know that anything is possible through God's grace and love, and that's one of the reasons we gather to worship him, as we do. And so this happens... Because she goes all in to follow the God of Israel. At incredible risk to herself. At incredible risk to her family. She makes the decision that her story is over. It's time to enter God's story. And that's exactly what she does. And so as disciples of Jesus, that's the choice we've made. My little story is over. It's going to be overwhelmed by God's great story. The Apostle Paul, another believer with a checkered past, uh, the Apostle Paul learned that God through Christ had the power to make all things new, including him, to make us into a new creation. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, And this is just powerful. He says, because he talks about his past, and he says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And I especially love the part, this one thing, forgetting the past. Jesus is the only one who can make the past vanish in terms of the sin, that, the guilt before God, the shame. There might still be some consequences there or after-effects. Jesus is the only one who can redeem wicked, broken people and turn them into amazing instruments of God's love and grace. I really like the way, Frederick Buechner is a great writer, but I really like the way he speaks about the transformative power of God's love. In his book, Telling the Truth, he compares it to fairy tales, but stick with him. He says it. It is a world of magic and mystery, of deep darkness and flickering starlight. It is a world where terrible things happen and wonderful things, too. It is a world where goodness is pitted against evil, love against hate, order against chaos, in a great struggle where often it is hard to be sure who belongs to which side because appearances are endlessly deceptive. Yet for all its confusion and wildness, it is a world where the battle goes ultimately to the good who live happily ever after. And where in the long run, everyone, good and evil alike, become known by their true name. This, he says, is the fairy tale of the gospel. Of course, with one crucial difference from all other fairy tales, which is that the claim made for it is that it is true. True, that it not only happened once upon a time, but it has kept on happening ever since and is happening still. And Rahab reminds us powerfully that what matters most is not what happened in the past what matters most is making the bold choice to join God's story. So I guess the question would just be, have you made that decision? Have you made that choice? Or have you maybe drifted from that decision and moved more back into your own story? Um, let's pray about this, and then we'll, we'll sing here in just a moment. Father, what a powerful powerful story. What an amazing lady. Father, it's so easy for us to get hung up on the details of what she did for a living, of the establishment that she, run, she ran because we're fallen and we, we get so tied up in those things. And you won't let us forget that story because you keep bringing it up throughout your word to show us The power of your grace, the power of your love, to show us that you are the savior of the second chance. And Father, I thank you for Rahab and people like Rahab who dare to make bold choices, who dare to live for you when the enemies around seem overwhelming, even when life is under siege. They continue to make bold choices for you because you are, as she said, the one true God of heaven and earth. And Father, I thank you for her story, and I thank you that her story is not only a standalone, but that it ties into the big story as she is one of the ancestors of the Savior of the world, of Jesus Christ. And tonight, Father, we... Gain hope from her story, courage from her story, and we look forward to seeing what you will do through us as we yield to the greater story of the gospel. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. Let's be standing. Let's worship together.